Welcome to the Sports Finder Podcast. Let's get ready to rumble! Sports Finder community, we're back with our regular segment where we speak to great people from the world of sport. And today, it is no different. I have Mr. Matt Wolf. Matt, welcome to the show. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me today. My absolute pleasure, sir. Matt, um, before we get into your day-to-day and what you're currently working on, let's go back in time. Who was Matt as a young man at school? Yeah, so Matt was not a great student, uh, didn't like to study. I'm more of a street smart kind of guy than a book smart. Ironically enough, I have a twin brother. He's fraternal, and he is the opposite, uh, really book smart. Um, you know, studying, test taking was really a struggle for me, and I got lucky enough to get into a really good university. I think that followed me with the, you know, studying. I, I got by how I needed to get by but I didn't really take it as serious as, as I would have, as I should have, and as I would have liked to. I didn't get an internship when I probably should have done that. I always wanted to go have fun and enjoy my life. And going, looking back, I think that really hurt me in the, in the beginning of my career. And it took me a lot longer to get where I should have been because of that. So um, yeah, that, that's, you know, but looking back, it's, I, I definitely would change a few things. So talk to me about getting into college and the whole, the whole process. What was your, what was that journey like? And even your, your college journey? Yeah. So I actually got into the university of Arizona out of high school. My sister was there. My parents didn't trust me to go away to college right away because of, I wasn't really a troublemaker, but I wasn't, I wasn't a good student. I mean, that's just, it's as easy as that. I wasn't a good student. My brother got into the University of Florida and he went there and I went to a year of community college and I said, you know what, let me apply to Florida since my brother's there. I I got rejected, but someone appealed for me and gave me a call on my birthday telling me that I got in, uh, which was a miracle, really. Today, I wouldn't even, they wouldn't even sniff my resume to let me into school there. It's a very, very competitive landscape there. But uh, got in, you know, graduated in three years, as I mentioned, didn't do any internships, moved back to New Jersey right after I graduated. Uh, Less than a month later, I moved down to South Florida and started to look for work and really struggled to to find a job. Um, It it took me a while, Uh, you know, certainly can get into that, but um, I got lucky. I mean, life is all about, you know, decisions and timing and so if I had gone to Arizona right out of high school my life would be very different than it is now it could be it could be much better it could be worse I'm certainly happy where I'm at now and um I'd make the same decisions you know as I did I'd change a few things what was life like after college what what happened then so because my grades were just okay I didn't have an internship I had no experience. I'm down in South Florida, which historically is not a great place for uh, business and, and work. And so I, I sent resumes out. I was 
I was looking for jobs just to, you know, sort of get some experience. I was looking at marketing. I wanted the sports and entertainment world. Originally, I thought I wanted to work in movies and work on movie trailers and previews. And um, really just took a long time to find a job. Finally, I got a job. It's a, a whole nother podcast to talk about that job. It was not good. And it led me to go to another job that was not good again. And it was just like a long cycle of going from one place that really wasn't great to another. But, you know, looking back, all those, all those stops on my journey really built me to who I am and, and made me really want to make a, a better effort to get where I need to go and then be more strategic about it and, and, and focus on what I want and then eventually get there. So I was working at a, it was basically like a, a, a home shopping network program. Then I went to a publishing company. Uh, from there, I, uh, I went to monster.com doing recruitment advertising. Then from there, I went to publishing, who was one of my customers at, at uh, monster.com. And then I, I left that business and got into the ticketing world, which was very exciting for me because I focused on sports and entertainment in the ticketing world. And that was really the first entrance into the sports industry and the entertainment industry. And it wasn't necessarily a direct entry, but it really got me to working in sports, working in entertainment, talking to venues and teams and colleges. And so that was, that was how I got in. Very, very nice. You said um, in one of your positions that uh, it was a tough journey moving from position to position, career to career. What were some of the challenges that, that, that you faced? Well, the, the obvious one is why are you jumping around from job to job? When you're young, you know, that's what they're going to want to know. What happened there? And I didn't really have a good answer for that other than I, I picked the wrong job and it happens. You know, we pick wrong jobs, people pick wrong employees, it just happens. But when it starts to happen over and over again, you got to start to think, well, what am I doing wrong, right? What, what, what could I have done differently? And then you know, I, I got some good experience. It's the same as in college, you get good experience, but how is that relevant to the next job? Do they say, I like what you're doing and what you've done? but it doesn't apply to what we do here, but we can teach you how to do that. That's the way I would look at it. I want good people who have the skills and I'll teach them how to do what we need them to do. As opposed to someone who's been in that industry and done this job before, but maybe they're complacent or maybe they're set in their ways. Absolutely. Um, so what would you say to somebody? So early on, did you, what in your head did you ever think that you would end up in sport or did you ever want to be in sport or was it just yeah, always 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 and did you think it was possible that you could end up in sport yeah I, of course i think you know i was always applying for stuff the thing about sports and entertainment is that everyone wants these jobs Correct. they all want them it's just a very glamorous job and in some cases it's it's a very challenging job like you think you're going to join a team because you want to be you know, watch, be there for the games, but you're working during the games. I have a friend who was a ticket guy at the University of Florida, and every time he went up, he was running around helping and working until maybe like the second half of the game or the third quarter. And so it's very glamorous, and people who have it, they don't want to leave. 
and then people are in it, they keep getting it. Look at the coaches. You probably have this very similar where you're at in sports. Like they keep recycling the same people, the same coaches, the same general managers. And so it's hard to break in. But once you're in, I think you're in good position. So, you know, I think I was lucky to actually sort of get in in a backdoor sense. And it, it's helped me. Yeah, because so many people, many people think and say that, um, you know, we all want to work in sport and entertainment. Like, it's probably one of the most sought-after jobs, really, because of the glamour that comes with it. It's really attractive. It's one of those industries that looks so attractive from the outside. One thing yeah. that, I've, that I've learned from listening and interviewing over 100 guests is it's very, very tough. Day-to-day mm-hmm. -day is non-stop. Even when the season's done, you're even busier. So that's why there's sort of a misconception out there that, you know, it's this glamorous position. It is. It's a great job and so on, but it is very, very tough. It's no walk in the park. It's not for the faint-hearted. Um, let's move on to, to your time in ticketing. How did you come up with this ticket time machine? I mean, where, where did this come from, which is, what, which is what you're currently working on now, basically? Yeah, so I started to work. Uh, my first job in sports sort of was at Worldwide Ticketcraft. It's a ticket printing company. So they actually print the tickets that you use for the events. I was there for a while, loved my time there, and then I moved on to another job. I was working at LexisNexis selling anti-money laundering solutions. So nothing to do with it, ticketing or sports, I was out. And I was at a game a couple years ago. There was a no-hitter thrown, and the team announced that if you want a printed ticket, come to the box office, because everything was mobile then. All the tickets were mobile. So I went there and I said, this is great. Can you write Edison Bulkhead's no-hitter on the ticket? And they said, we can't, we can only print what your ticket was. And having the ticket background that I have, I know that they can, they just don't want to. And that's a lot of things that, you know, a lot of people say they can't do something when they really mean we don't want to, or we're not willing to do. And so that's when Ticket Time Machine was born. I took a, a you know, about a year, a year and a half to get myself set up, incorporate, get a website, start get planning on things, and then got some events rolling end of last year. And all still while I was full time in at my other job. And then end of last year, I told my job, look, I'm going to focus on my company. You know, I'll give you a long, as long a notice as you want, but I'm going to be leaving. And we settled on April 1. So April 1 was my last day. I actually got married February 29th, leap day, went on the honeymoon, came back to quarantine. And then three weeks later, I quit my job and had no money coming in. So that's how I got wow. to where I am today. Take me through the whole ticketing world. And from the time you entered to today, what, how, how much change have you, have you witnessed? How has it changed the role of a ticketing employee at, at these larger companies? Yeah, so I was on the ticket printing side, who obviously works very closely with the ticket operations side of an event or a team. And ticketing itself has really, it, there's not a lot has changed in the actual ticket printing world. The real change has, got, has been the technology. So with digital ticketing and, and mobile ticketing, there's been less of a need for the actual printed ticket. And so with the printed ticket, there's some stuff that's gone on. You've made it fancier and, and we're working on some stuff that is non-traditional ticketing that we think is going to turn the industry on its side. 
um, for a couple of reasons. One, because the industry is technically going away in a sense, but that's fine for us. We encourage you to go to digital and we're going to provide the printed for the people who, who need it. And so from a ticketing operations perspective, the job is the same for them. Like they're trying to figure out the best way to get the tickets and how much should the tickets be and how to sell it and how to fill up the stadium. The way they're doing it, whether it was a print ordering printed tickets before and running it through a printer themselves or just having a digital ticket sent, that's really the change for them. And there's a challenge there. But then the real challenge is, you know, are you going to have a need for the box office people as you move forward? And that's going to be very unfortunate because these people have been working in ticketing for 30, 30 years, 20 years. And, you know, they're going to have to look for another job. Um, it's, you know, it's great. Technology is great. But with technology, there's always issues. And technology is, can take away uh, lots of jobs. And in the sporting and entertainment world, that's, you're talking about thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of jobs. So we've seen a decrease in, in actual real tickets in physical ticketing. Oh yeah. In the US, absolutely. Okay. Do you, could you put a number on that? Oh, uh, so my feeling is that everyone would go a hundred percent digital if they can, but there's a lot of factors that, that prevent you from doing that today. Older people using phones that aren't smartphones, Wi-Fi issues around the stadium, people who want the printed ticket. They're going to try and get 75, 80% mobile if they can, maybe even higher than that. Uh, moving forward, COVID is, is actually, you know, a good scapegoat for it. It's, they don't need to go digital, but it's a good reason for them to say, like if we say, oh, we're going to have a contactless experience for you. Well, what's the difference if I hold my phone out to your scanner or I hold my ticket out to your scanner? It's not, it's the same. It doesn't matter. And I, I, I'm all for them going digital. I understand why it's going to cost them less. They save on expenses. They have better way of tracking your data. Um, whether, the, whether that's a benefit to you or to them, that's arguable, but, um, yeah, you know, they're, they're going to go digital. It's, it's, an, it's, uh, there's nothing stopping it. Okay. So which comes to my next question, you've seen a lot of change in the world of ticketing over the last few years. What does the future of ticketing look like moving forward? How do they keep evolving? So from a digital perspective, really there's no limit to what they can do. Uh, you know, there's just going to be, it's going to be embedded in your phone with RFID. So where you don't even have to pull up a ticket, it's just in your phone. And now you can just hold your phone up. Um, I think there's going to be some crazy stuff in the digital world. Now, I don't, I don't know if that's good or not. They're just going to keep evolving on the digital world the same way it used to evolve in the printed world. Uh, what we're going to do is allow the fan to, to still get a paper ticket, not for the admission purposes, but for the commemorative and souvenir purposes. And our printed ticket is going to be tied to the digital world. So you're going to be able to push digital content and engage with your fans and customers through the printed ticket, through the digital world with augmented reality experiences, gamification. Uh, we already have animated tickets. So, you know, a ticket that has a GIF or rotating images. Did you ever, do you, do you know of the, uh, back in the day when you used to have a book and you'd sift through the book and the image would change across? Yeah. That's essentially what we're doing, but we're yeah. saving you the step of flipping through it. 
you're just turning the ticket. Nice. So do you think that that would impact the, um, not really a black market, the market where people bought basically scalping where people buy and sell tickets, buy tickets and sell them at four times the actual value of a ticket, the price of the ticket. Do, do, do you see that, that component of it dying? No, it's, it's going to be there. They just got to figure out a better way to do it. And part of that is the transferring of the digital ticket, which is, I mean, it's a long, it, it's a big argument about secondary markets and how that's going to affect them with the digital ticket. And then back in the past, you had the print at home ticket and the physical ticket and the counterfeiting aspect and fraud aspect of it. Well, there's still going to be a digital fraud and, and counterfeiting even in the digital world, because by the time you even figure out what they've done, the person's in and these people are gone. So it's, there's always gonna be a component of that and having worked at LexisNexis, I understand how big fraud is and how big of an expense it is. So they're gonna to have to make sure that they can prevent the fraud on the digital front, which is very difficult to do because these fraudsters are very smart. I mean, they just get smarter and smarter in technology you know, I can just go into a, I can go to a conference and sit at that conference and learn everything that you guys are doing that you're saying is going to help with the security and then do it myself. So, you know, I think it's not going away. They got to figure out how to do it. I'm no fan of it because I don't like paying extra for, for tickets that I shouldn't have to. Um, but like everything, supply and demand, if people are buying them at that rate, they're, they're always going to sell them. So. And the teams allow it now. So whereas they didn't want it happening before, they're allowing it. They're partnering with these secondary market companies. But now they just got to figure out how to, how to curb it in the way that they want it to do. Them allowing it means they get some sort of share of it, right? Well, they get people in the stands. I don't, I don't have as much knowledge on that side of it, but they get people in. And they want people to come into the game because the people will buy food and drink, they'll buy souvenirs, they'll pay for parking. So all that stuff they get, even if they don't necessarily get the ticket. Think of it like the, do they have comedy clubs at where you're at where they yeah. give you free admission in, but it's a two drink minimum. So they just want to get you in there. They don't care necessarily about that. And that's where the, that's where the real money is. Yeah, food, drinks, merchandise, so on, so on. Yeah, it makes, makes a lot of sense. Okay, how, how do you guys evolve and, and move forward? I mean, with all this, all this digital ticketing and you know all these different things happening, how, how do you guys become key players and and beneficiaries of all this? Yeah, so as they go digital, I think it's a better opportunity for us because we're not trying to replace the digital ticket. What we're trying to do is partner with everyone who's offering a ticket and offering their fans a better experience, offering them a new revenue generating stream, whereas it used to be an expense. And then really what we can do is just expand our offering. Like, as I said, augmented reality and gamification and pushing digital content. And, and for the fans, just giving them, you know, a, a, a real talking, a, a talking piece, a, a coffee table, um, something they can talk about with their friends and want to keep showing it. And then maybe there'll be some membership. So we're talking about, highlights from a game that you can activate through your phone and the ticket and standings and schedules and maybe buy tickets right from this ticket. 
I think the, the, the future is only limited by, by the creativity and the technology as you're building it. So we're, we're in great position right now. We just need people to say yes. And then from there, how do we increase their revenue? How do we enhance the experience? That, those are the two things that we're gonna focus on. Um, and we think we're in very good position to do so. Awesome. Um, what are your greatest uh, pieces of advice to somebody trying to build a career in sport considering you've been through so many years of, of doing that? Yeah, so we actually, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty heavily involved on LinkedIn. And uh, my friend Jill Haber and I are going to be putting on a LinkedIn. It's called Learning LinkedIn and Networking, where we give some advice and then we have some conversation with experts in the field. I will have like a panel and a Q&A. And some of the advice that I would give on there is target who you want to work for. If you want to work in sports, target sports companies, sports teams, sports venues. You know, start connecting with them on LinkedIn. Start having conversations. Do your research on them. And, and don't worry if that's not who you get in with first, you can build toward it, towards it, but get in however you can, because once you're in, you have a better chance of, of either escalating to the position you want or moving to a different sport or industry. You have that knowledge. So I think the most important thing you can do is target and then not settle. I know that's a real tough thing. I waited a, a long time between jobs before I took that job at LexisNexis and it turned out to be the right one. So if you're taking the wrong job, it's, it can really slow your path and have roadblocks that are, are difficult to overcome. So those are the two things I would, I would say are, are the greatest advice is really target what you want and go after it. Don't let someone tell you you can't do it or it's hard or you know your experience could be much different than theirs. Some of it's just lucky, a lot of it's who you know, some of it's timing. So, you know, do that and then post content. I mean, you know, get people to be aware of who you are, regardless of what you're doing. And as you get noticed, it only takes one person to notice you. And you never know who's going to notice. I'm very big on the immeasurable data. Like if I post something on LinkedIn and I only get five likes, but a hundred other people saw it and maybe talked to their friends about it and then they looked at it. And so you just never know. And um, it, you know, go for what you want. I say do it. Just do it. Don't wait. Don't think, what if this happens? Just go out there and go for it. Have a strategy. And um, I think you'll get where you want to go. There's enough sports jobs and there's always new, new jobs coming out and people retiring and people leaving and fresh new ideas. So if you can show value, they'll find a way to get you on their team and in the company. Awesome. Matt, thank you very much. You've been absolutely amazing. You've shared uh, some great insights with us, great great advice there at the end too. Unfortunately, we have to wrap things up. Before we let you go, where can people get in touch with you online? Yeah, TicketTimeMachine.com is our website. I'm all over LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can find us on there. Connect with us, follow us, send me a message. I reply to every message I get. Uh, regardless of what it is, always happy to talk to anyone who needs help trying to get into the sports world or any help with uh, their their job or their company. And uh, keep an eye out for us for that learning LinkedIn webinar. It's going to be next month. And if you're looking to get into sports, we have some great resources for you. Uh, we can help you get a, a head start. Do you, do you have a domain they can visit? 
nothing for that event yet. We're still working on it. But if you if you follow us on uh, on LinkedIn or or Twitter and Instagram, we're, we're going to announce that fairly fairly soon. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Matt Wolf from Ticket Time Machine. Thank you very much for joining me on the Sports Finder podcast. Matt, thanks. Really appreciate it. Enjoy your day or night. Thank you for listening to the Sports Finder podcast. We'll catch you on our next episode. Y'all ready for this?